For the past several weeks, we've been walking through this series called Race to the Cross. As we are walking through the book of Mark, uh, looking at our Savior Jesus. Uh, And if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, what we've said is that the book of Mark is different than Matthew, Luke, and John, and that Mark uh, has two goals in mind, and that is to prove that Jesus is the powerful Son of God. And to also prove that this powerful Son of God came as a suffering servant to save people from their sins. And so Mark is different in that he doesn't focus so much on what Jesus says, but more on what Jesus does. And that's what we've seen over the first couple of weeks is, is Jesus is doing a lot of things. He is running his race to the cross, proving that he is the powerful Son of of God. And he's invited you and me to follow with him. He says, follow me and run the race to heaven. And as we've heard multiple times already this morning, uh, that is what you and I are doing. We are on the race, running our race to eternal life. Because Jesus has died, he's risen, salvation is ours, forgiveness is ours, and now we're running the race marked out for us as we go to eternal life. Just like any race, distractions can happen. And it happened for Jesus too. Or at least he was tempted to be distracted. And so this morning what we're going to look at is how God's word uh, shows us a couple distractions that can come up in our life. God's word refocuses us by reminding us what our purpose is. And then God's word provides us with encouragement and comfort on this race. It's what we find in Mark chapter 3. And so that's where we're going to jump in. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Let's stop right there. Uh, Jesus, you can tell already just in in chapter 3, Jesus is gaining so much popularity. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's doing all these miracles that he comes back to Capernaum. He enters a house and he and his disciples are trying to eat and what happens? Knock, knock, knock. We're here, Jesus. And everyone just piles in so that dinner gets interrupted. Uh, This is how popular Jesus was getting. And his family comes to take charge of him, it says. Why? Because they said he's out of his mind. Why in the world would they say that? Maybe question first, back up. Who's Jesus' family that's talked about here? Uh, Mary and Joseph had other kids, and so these are probably his half-brothers. And if you look down at the bottom uh, in verse uh, 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Mary is with them. Mary, the the one who had the angel speak to her and say, you're going to have the son of the Most High. Uh, You're going to have the son of David, and he's going to take over the throne of his father, David. Mary comes with the brothers, 
because Jesus has lost his mind, they said. And the Greek word says they've come to forcefully seize him and take him. Why in the world would they think he's crazy? Because it was one thing when he was preaching. It was one thing when he was teaching. It's one thing when he's doing miracles. But Jesus is starting to get in some hot water with the religious leaders because as we looked at last week, what is Jesus claiming now? To be God. Uh, He didn't come out and say, I am God, but he's claiming to be able to do things that only God can do. And what do they know is the price, the punishment for blasphemy? Death. And so to protect Jesus, to get him out of there, He's lost his mind. He's claiming to be God. Let's take him away. He's crazy. Maybe you know what that's like. Uh, Maybe you know what it's like for your family to think you're crazy for your Christian beliefs. Maybe you haven't been a Christian for a long time and you're just getting into Christianity and now your family's looking and saying, oh, you're believing that. Oh, you don't do that anymore? You don't live like that anymore? You're crazy. What's gotten into you? Maybe you know the look of kind of pity. When your family or your close friends look at you and say, you believe that? As if your intellect isn't as high as theirs because you're believing what the Bible says. Jesus knows what that's like. His own family called him crazy. He's out of his mind. And they tried to come and take hold of him. But they weren't the only ones. The religious leaders also said Jesus wasn't crazy, but he was demon-possessed. He was evil. You talk about two big distractions, family and religious leaders. Your first point today. Jesus' family called him crazy, while the leaders called him evil. The Jewish religious leaders were were not just church people of of the day. They were the leaders that everyone looked to. They were educated. They were smart. They knew what they were talking about. And so when they spoke, everyone listened. What kind of impact do you think it had on the people as they're going around saying, he's demon-possessed? By Beelzebub, he's driving out demons. Uh, Beelzebub was uh, the name that the Jewish people had, had given to uh, Satan. It's that, it's pretty int- maybe it's not that interesting to you, but I'm going to tell you anyways. <laughs> it's interesting to me. Um, Beelzebub became the name for, for Satan back in the Old Testament when uh, the, the Philistines were around. They had a god who was named something similar, and it, the, the name for their god was was Beelzebub, and it meant Lord of the Flies, which is where the book title came from. It's based on the Philistine God. And what the Jewish people did was they took their bitter rival and took one of their gods and associated it with Satan. And so they're saying, Jesus, you're evil. You're casting out demons by the devil. You talk about two big distractions. Your family... And the leaders of the day that can knock you off your path, this is what Jesus faced. And Jesus has a dilemma now. 
Who does he listen to? Does he listen to his family? Does he listen to the Jewish religious leaders? Or does he listen to God? Here's what Jesus says. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Uh, Real quick, what a great uh, little argument there from Jesus. Uh, You guys are saying I'm driving out demons by being demon-possessed by Beelzebub? Think of your logic here, religious leaders. What is Satan's goal? To possess people and lead them away from God. And then I'm coming along and working with the devil and casting out the demons that the, the devil is... This makes no sense. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But then Jesus doubles down. Look what he says. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Look what Jesus says. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. He's continuing the parable. Who's the strong man? The devil. We've talked about him the last couple of weeks, but if, I don't know where you're at with the devil, but the devil's a very real being, and he's responsible for all the chaos in this world. He's behind every sickness, behind every disease. He's behind the hatred that's in this world. He's behind all the murders in this world. He's behind the, the prolonged guilt that has taken you over. He's behind the, the fear that grips your heart because of death. He's behind everything that is bad in this world. And no one in this world can stand up to them on their own. And yet look what Jesus says. No one can tie up the, no one can, can uh, plunder the, the strong man's house without first tying him up. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing that. I'm the one tying up the devil. I'm the one casting these demons out. I'm tying them up and taking the plunder. And what is the plunder? Better question. Who is the plunder? People. He is saving people from the devil, and that is his whole goal. Jesus doubles down and he says, I'm not going to go with my family. I'm not going to listen to you religious leaders. Instead, I'm going to listen to God because I'm the one who's come to save people from their sins. He's essentially claiming to be God again because God's the only one who can tie up the strong man. He doesn't listen to his family. He doesn't listen to the leaders. Instead, he stands up and he testifies to who he is. He is God who's come to save people from the devil. And so your second point this morning, Jesus' purpose was to do the Father's will. This was Jesus' whole entire purpose in his, in his life, was to carry out God's will. It wasn't to appease his family. It wasn't to listen to the religious leaders and, and be tucked away and say, I'm not going to testify to who I am. I'm not going to... 
Jesus said, I'm here to do my Father's will. Sometimes we, uh, I, I say this from time to time, and maybe you've heard me say it, uh, but Jesus lived for an audience of one. As he ran his race marked out for him, he lived to glorify and honor God, and the only opinion that mattered was God's. The only eyes that he cared that were on him were God's. The only person that he wanted to please was God. He was here to do God's will. And no distractions would take him off of doing just that. What about you? What's your purpose in life? If you ask our 7th and 8th graders who are in my doctrine class on Monday night, they can tell you what their purpose is. Because every, every class we start with, who am I and what's my purpose in life? They'll tell you we are blood-bought children of God and our purpose in life is to glorify and honor God in our thoughts, words, and actions. It's to live for an audience of one. And as we live for an audience of one, we carry out the Father's will. And so what we have to wrestle with this morning is whose opinion matters most. In your life, whose opinion matters most to you? Is it God's or your family and friends? Is it God's or the cultural leaders in our world? What happens when our family and friends' opinion or desire contradicts God's will? Who do you listen to? What what about when our friends' opinion? Do we go along with what they want, or do we follow God's will and make the hard decision and glorify and honor God? It's easy to, to talk about it conceptually, right? It's easy to say, well, I'm going to follow God's will until you're in the moment. Think of how many parents would get just an absolutely crazy look from their children if they said, you're not going to compete on Sunday morning because we're going to church. Imagine the crazy looks they'd get from the other parents on the team to say, my kid's not coming because there's church on Sunday morning. Imagine the look from the coach as you say, my kid's not playing on Sunday morning because there's church. You would get the look of, you are crazy. You would get the look of, I can't believe that. Imagine the looks that we would get out in public as, and maybe you have had them from cultural leaders as we say, no, we stand on biblical principles. God has a design for men. God has a design for women. God says in his word that the woman's body, the baby in the womb, and the man's body all belong to God, not to themselves. This would be called radical and maybe even toxic Christianity. In those moments, do we stand firm and testify to God's word or do we tuck back away? Whose opinion matters most? And if it's anyone's but God's, it will knock us off from living out God's will, from carrying it out and glorifying and honoring him. Why do we do that? We could say fear, but I think deep down we want to be accepted. 
We want to be loved. We want to be included. And, and when we stand for God's will in those moments, it's definitely we're the outsider feeling and they're the insider. And so you know what Jesus promises to you and me? Just an amazing thing. Let's continue. Here's what he says. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Think about that. Jesus' mom, Mary, is outside. Jesus' brothers are outside, and they say, your, your family's here. And he looks around and says, who's my family? I'll tell you who my family is. The ones who do God's will. These are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. It's an amazing blessing that you and I have, amazing comfort that Jesus says to you and me, as we live out God's will, as we testify and we live for an audience of one, as we live to glorify God alone, we may feel like an outsider to everyone else. And Jesus says, you're part of my family. You're my mother, my brother, my sister. How can that be? How can that be? Because I don't know about you, but just a little while ago when I was asking whose opinion matters most to you, uh, I can honestly say that there are times the majority of my life, ends up being others' opinions. I fail at this time and time again. How can Jesus look at you and me and say, you're my mother, my brother, and my sister, when we fail to carry out God's will so often in our life? The reason? Because Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected by his family. They called him crazy. He was rejected by the Jewish religious leaders, but just almost three years after this, Jesus was rejected again. When he was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's one of the only times in all of Jesus' life that he didn't refer to God as Father, but my God, my God. Why? Because in that moment, God the Father rejected God the Son. Think of how that must have hurt. It's one thing for your family to reject you, but God. The closer the relationship, the, the more that rejection hurts. If you go to the grocery store and someone says, I don't want to see you again. Well, okay. I don't really know you. I'm probably not going to see you again. All right. But now if a coworker says, I don't want to see you again, well, it starts to sting a little bit. What did I do? If your kid rejects you and says, I never want to see you again, that hurts even more. But probably the, the number one hurt is when a spouse looks at you. When your spouse looks at you and says, I don't want to see you again. The closer the relationship, the more it hurts when rejection comes. And when Jesus is on the cross, God the Father rejects God the Son. Jesus, who is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. He is eternal. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one God, have loved each other and been with each other forever and will be forever. They have no beginning, no end. There's no closer relationship than God the Father, God the Son, 
And yet God the Father rejects Jesus on the cross. Why? Because in that moment, he's taken on all of our sin. In that moment, he's taken on the sins of the world, all of your sins, all of my sins. And God the Father says, I reject you, God the Son. And yet what comes through that? Our acceptance. Your next point. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. You are accepted into the family of God, not because of how great you perform, not because of how closely you live out God's will, but because Jesus was rejected from God's family so that you could be accepted in. He took all of your sin that kept you out and he paid for it all. So when God the Father looks at you, he says, this is my son, this is my daughter. When Jesus looks at you, he says, this is my brother, this is my sister. You, all of your sins have been forgiven. And that's what Jesus says if you, if you actually look uh, at verse 28. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is, what's the Holy Spirit's job? To create and strengthen faith. And so if you reject the Holy Spirit's work in your life, it means you're rejecting that Jesus is the Savior. And if you die like that, there's no, there's no forgiveness that can happen. Forgiveness comes through faith in Jesus. And so through faith in Jesus, he says all of your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are part of his family and he's covered up all of your sins. You are eternally forgiven. And you are part of the family of God. Do you know what this means for you and me? As people who want to live out and carry out God's will, who want God's will to matter more than anyone else's in this world, it means that when we come to church, when we're here right now, we are not here just as an individual. Look around. These are your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Just like you're a brother or a sister of Jesus, so are all the people around you. And you know what? None of them think you're crazy because they believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus died for their sins. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that they're going to heaven. They too want to carry out God's will. This is what we all want. And so let's be a family. A family that encourages one another to carry out God's will. A family that where we can come and get comfort that we're not the only ones. A family that bears each other's burdens. A family that prays for one another. Look around. If there are faces here that you don't know today, introduce yourself. Because we're not just a family of individuals, a church of individuals. We're a family of believers who have Jesus as their brother and sister because he's paid for their sins too. And so let's bear each other's burdens Let's get into groups where we're not just here on church, at church on Sunday morning, but we're developing family bonds in our connect groups. Let's come here and be a family as we encourage each other to live out God's will to his glory, to his honor, as we run the race with no distractions because of Jesus. May he be with us as we do this, as we live to glorify and honor God, the only opinion who matters, knowing that our Savior loves us, that he forgives us, knowing that when we fail, 
He builds us up with the forgiveness of sins and the grace we need to continue to run the race. Let's do that as a family. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for your love that sent Jesus, our Savior, into this world. He didn't back down, but testified to who he is. He didn't back down, but he carried out your will. We thank you that he carried it out perfectly, even to going to the cross where he died for, to forgive the sins of the world, our sins. Where he, died, where he went to the cross where he was rejected by you so we could be accepted eternally. Rejection hurts. Uh, and you know that, Jesus. Uh, you know exactly what it's like. As we live in this world and people reject us uh, because of our Christian beliefs, we ask you to build us up and give us comfort. We ask you to send family of believers around us to build us up, to comfort us, to pray with us, uh, and, and to give us a safe place where we can grow in Jesus together. As we go out into the world and we want to share our faith, we ask you to be with us, give us the words to say. Uh, let us live to honor and glorify you, even when it's difficult, knowing uh, that we have brothers and sisters here in our church and around the world uh, who are running that same race, who have that same desire to give you praise, glory, and honor in everything we do. We thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness that you have won for us. We thank you for the grace and the compassion and the family of believers you have surrounded us with. Let us grow closer together as we grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.